Today's episode is brought to us by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Just like if you were stranded on an island, you would write, help! Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, it was comparing myself to others, not feeling like I'm enough, and being afraid to express my needs. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp is also committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed anytime. The service is available for clients worldwide and you can start communicating in just under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp is not the right solution for you if you have thoughts of hurting yourself or others. There are other numbers that I list in the show notes that you can go to for those services. With BetterHelp, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and Financial aid is available. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Quote, after counseling with Jennifer Dressler for three weeks on issues concerning depression, stress, anxiety, and trauma, I really appreciate Jennifer's empathy and kindness. I feel heard and supported, and she has offered some really helpful practices. End quote. Another BetterHelp user, quote, after counseling with Michelle Solo for two weeks on issues concerning depression, stress, anxiety, addictions, and self-esteem, Michelle and I have just begun communicating and already I have boundless hope for my future. She's very tool-oriented and doesn't just listen. I've never before had a therapist who is so actively involved in taking steps to help you get better. I would highly recommend her, especially for those who have lost faith in therapy. I did. She's going to surprise you. So please visit betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I have a special offer for my Before You Kill Yourself listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Megan. Megan, actually, I just realized I don't know your last name. What's your last name? Griman. Megan Griman. Megan Griman, who is our dog trainer. We have a, a French bulldog, and, and Megan is preparing our French bulldog to be an uh, emotional support animal, but also, what's the other... Uh, right, getting her service dog certification. Oh, service dog certification. And yeah. I'm excited to have you on because I was like, you know, I'm listening to how you're training the dog. Um, uh -huh. But you're, it's also like kind of training Michelle, Michelle, my girlfriend, who uh, <laughs> wanted a, a dog. Um, and, and I've come to love the dog over time. Um, but a lot of the things that you are teaching in terms of training the dog, soothing the dog, and and also teaching Michelle. I'm listening and I'm like, these are things that human beings need to be aware of and know about in terms of how to soothe ourselves, how to, I don't want to say train ourselves, but to some extent we do have to be like trained or programmed or, you know, calm down. And but before we get into all that, uh, where are you from and then why dog training? Yeah, so dog training kind of just fell into my lap and I fell in love with it and stuck with it. Uh, so I, I've always loved animals from a young age. You know, my mom would always brag that when we'd go to petting zoos and things like that, all the animals would kind of flock towards me and they'd be running away from my brother as he's chasing them. So just from an early age, I've always felt kind of connected to him. 
so when I went to school choosing a major, I went to Oregon State University and they have a great animal science program, you know, lots of hands-on experience with cattle and horses and things like that, that a lot of other universities don't offer. Um, I did that program because I wanted to be a zookeeper, love exotic animals. Uh, and right after graduation, I was looking for jobs and I wanted to come back to Southern California. It's where I'm from. I grew up in Ventura County. Um, and there was an opening at SeaWorld for the Pets Rule Show, which was, you know, one of those onstage performance shows where there's people on stage doing cool things with animals in front of an audience. So I like to tell people I kind of felt like a C-list celebrity sometimes. Um, but that show, due to all the, you know, SeaWorld backlash and things like that, they had to make some budget cuts. So that show, unfortunately, came to a close and we all kind of had to scramble to find jobs. And uh, the job that I found was at a leading dog training facility in San Diego that I no longer work at. But that job was the one that kind of, you know, catapulted my career in dog training and made me fall in love with it. So I stuck with it and now I'm with a different company and getting into, you know, aggression specialties, service dog training, puppies, all of that. So it's fun. Aggression specialties. Say more yeah. about that. And the only reason is uh, my last therapist told me I had some anger management issues. So <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping, well, he didn't say I had anger management issues, but he was like, you need to read uh -huh. Not Han's book on anger. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but what's interesting is anything I've read about animals and being aggressive, it's usually out of fear. And I'm hoping that maybe I can get to the source of my anger through learning about dogs. Talk to me about aggressive dogs and, and what we like, what it means when they're aggressive. And then how do we mm -hmm. respond to that? Yeah. So like you said, a lot of aggression is fear-based. It kind of goes back to nature nurture, you know, some of it is just genetics. You know, I love, I love all breeds. German shepherds are one of my favorites, but you know, you've got your Rotties, your pit bulls, your German shepherds, Dobermans that just kind of tend to be more aggressive than compared to, you know, your poodles in your labs and things like that. So a lot of the breeds that end up having these aggression issues are those breeds that I mentioned, and a lot of it's fear-based. So really when talking about dogs that have aggression issues, it's, it's not so much taking a look at their behaviors and wanting to make them stop those. It's more so looking at why they're reacting this way and how can we change their environment to make them feel more comfortable so that we can avoid these behaviors, you know? So, so if you have a dog who's aggressively reacting to strangers in your house, instead of saying, you know, shut up and ignore them and listen, it's good to say, okay, obviously strangers make them feel uncomfortable. What can we do to kind of associate strangers with a positive thing so that the dog understands that strangers aren't a bad thing? So it's kind of shaping their mindset and working on trust between you and them so that they understand that if you're bringing people into their house, they don't have to be afraid of them. And you can kind of teach them these things by asking the person that they're afraid of to do things to help them, like offer them treats. Don't stare at them. You know, that's a lot of thing that, things that people do is they go, oh, dogs love me. And, you know, a dog's reacting to them and they just want to walk over to them and, and put their hands in their face and get low and, and walk to them slowly because they think that the dog will find them trusting when really that's what the dog is screaming that they don't want. You know, so with like anxiety and anger issues, aggression, things like that, it's, it's more so about looking at the environment and adjusting it so that the dog feels comfortable. So with all of my aggression work in dog training, it's been a lot of that, a lot of, you know, because I understand that as a dog trainer, but, but people don't, you know, they, they're kind of just like, my dog's reacting like this and I don't know what to do. I need to stop it. You know, where it really, the answers are usually pretty simple. It's okay. When does your dog react like this and why, like, can you find patterns in that? Same thing as people, you know, what exactly is setting you off and why, what are the patterns in that? And then just kind of adjusting from there. So yeah, I ended up picking up a lot of dogs from um, animal control, you know, that were kind of on their last strike up for euthanasia potentially. And 
bringing them in and training them and teaching their owners how to make them so that, you know, they don't lash out and bite and do things like that. So yeah, it's been, it's been wild. I've gotten bit a couple times, but it's, it's all been my fault. You know, every dog bite is avoidable if you're careful enough, but I mean, it's been fun and it's helped me understand people a lot more for those same reasons too. Uh, well, I tell me more about that. It helps you understand people more. Yeah. So I, I can't say I relate to it a ton with anger, but it's kind of the same idea. So I have a lot of anxiety issues. Um, so when we're dealing with dogs that have anxiety, which we've seen a ton because of COVID, right. We're calling them COVID puppies now because, you know, everyone in the first few months of COVID they're home, they get bored, they adopt animals, you know, young puppies, things like that, which is great. Love that. Um, but a lot of these dogs got used to their owners being home all the time, you know, so now that the pandemic is hopefully kind of wrapping up, we're getting a little bit back to normal. There's a ton of dogs that have major anxiety issues because now their owners are leaving things like that. Um, and I have anxiety issues too. So kind of thinking of how would I help a dog with anxiety or anger, you know, it's the same thing as how do I help myself through this anxiety? So one kind of funny example is uh, my boyfriend and I, who I, I'm with now, we've been together for uh, coming up on three years. We started dating right before COVID hit. And um, just because just because of how things happened, we kind of moved in together pretty quickly. And I <laughs> compare us to COVID puppies because it's like, okay, so with COVID puppies, you know, you're dealing with separation anxiety. I have an owner who's trying to get back to work. Their dog's freaking out. What I usually tell them is, you know, you got to start in small doses, you know, leave them for 10 minutes, then 20 minutes, then 30, you know, give them something to focus on so that they're not fixating on the fact that you're gone. In the same way, it's kind of like, okay, we're getting back to normal. My boyfriend's name is Cameron. Him and I are like, okay, we're, we're not going to get into this, you know, codependence. We can do things without each other, even though for the last, you know, two years, it's just been us home, you know, kind of blocking the world out. So we'll do things like, okay, I'm going to, you know, go to the grocery store. If it, it'll, it'll be 30 minutes. It's going to be okay. Here's your art supplies. Keep yourself focused, you know. I'm exaggerating for fun, but it's, you know, kind of the same thing with anxiety. It's like, okay, I got to find something else to focus on. We're going to start in small doses. So things like that, just kind of relating how dogs are to how I'm reacting. It, it kind of simplifies it a little bit so that I don't get so much in my head about it. I love this idea of focus, don't fixate, right? Because when I think about fixating, it seems like we are ruminating on one particular thing and is usually the negative and what we're missing yeah. or what we don't want right where uh focus is setting an intention and building on something that we can move towards the so that we can alleviate the the negative emotions uh that come with fixation uh does yeah. that does that resonate does that make sense Totally. Yeah. Dogs fix it on everything. You know, there you've got your diggers, your chewers, things like that. So yeah, I get that for sure. Well, t wait, so tell me more about the diggers and chewers. Are, are those the only okay. two categories when you think about dogs who fixate diggers, chewers, and what else? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, there's dogs find weird things to fixate on. It's like, you got to find, they got to find their vice. You know, the, it's like a pacifier, self-soother. So some of, I have a dog who she obsessively licks and it drives me wild, but that's, that's her self, self-soothing technique. You know, some dogs go crazy and they dig. Some dogs, you know, grab their toys and they sit there and they squeak them for hours on end. So I have a, another dog who would choose me over a tennis ball any day, you know, cause that's just her thing that she obsesses over. So yeah, just Every dog is different, but the main ones are, yeah, digging, chewing, things like that, that kind of go back to animalistic instinct, you know, digging, chewing, that, that's kind of what wolves would do, that kind of stuff. The, the digging, you know, makes sense to me because the, the deeper you go, the cooler the earth <laughs> is, right? And yeah. there's yeah. so, it's kind of like grounding for humans walking around barefoot on sand, grass, mm -hmm or even putting her feet in cold water. And then chewers, you see that in humans also, you know, people who have 
uh, food compulsions, whether they binge mm-hmm. eat, overeat, you know, um, you know, anything oral, some type of oral fixation. So that, that completely mm-hmm. resonates. So you're saying if you find yourself fixating, then we have to give you something to focus on because fix, fixation isn't completely negative in itself, right? You talk, you refer to it as a self-soothing right. thing. Can you, can you right. tell me at what point a fixation can become a problem and at what point is it actually, you know, healthy? Yeah, I, I mean, it becomes a problem when it starts to, when you start to self-harm because of it, you know, like if, if you think of a dog that chews, sometimes they'll start chewing on their own paws, you know, then it's like, okay, this isn't a healthy vice. We're going to have to think of something else. So like if a dog's chewing on itself and that's how it self soothes, you're going to try to find a toy or chew to give it instead. So kind of the same idea, you know, people were binge drinking, binge eating, things like that. Those are all technically self-soothing their vices, but they're not appropriate, right? They're harmful to the body, the mind, the spirit, things like that. So yeah, kind of the same thing with dogs. If it becomes negative, if you're no longer really benefiting yourself by doing it, then we got to kind of find a replacement for it. Yeah. I bought a, they have adult chew toys and I actually bought a few of those because I'm a binge eater. Yeah. They have, okay. and okay. well, I found out that people who are on a spectrum like autism and uh, yeah. I forget what the other labels are, but sometimes they need a chew toy to self-soothe something to, you know, besides food or gum okay, yeah. or anything like that. And I was like, oh yeah, Leo Flowers definitely needs this. I don't know why <laughs> only babies get to have a pacifier. Like so many right. adults who are like alcoholics or, you know, stuff in their face with food um clearly they have an oral fixation why not just stick a rubber toy in there you know what i mean right exactly yeah i'm with you so talk to me you know earlier you you were talking about how you were bit by dogs and you said it was Mm -hmm. your fault When, when i hear that i i i can i imagine that there's a listener who is being abused by their uh significant other and then they're like, oh, yeah. well, it's my fault. It's, t- tell me the distinction between that and how you're processing that. Yeah, I mean, people are a little more complicated, right? Because you've got you've got emotion in there. You've got I mean, the human brain is just so much more complex with with dogs. Dogs are pretty predictable. You know, if I know a dog's aggressive and I kind of know I know what their triggers are. So I'll just, I'll give you an example. I had this pretty gnarly dog bite with this dog who was just, he, he didn't like strangers and I loving animals. Like I do had been working with him for a couple of weeks. And so, and he was great with me, you know, never growled at me, never barked. Um, but he, he didn't like it when strangers would reach over his head to pet him, which is totally understandable. You know, I wouldn't like that too, if some strange person was coming at me with their hand towards my face. So it makes sense, but I'd I'd been working with him for two weeks. So I thought that our bond was strong enough that I kind of let my guard down a little bit. And, uh, I was just saying bye to him one day after a training session and I went towards him a little too quick and I went to kind of, you know, pet him on his head a little bit, which I should have known that that made him uncomfortable, and he reacted and bit me and it, you know, it could have totally been avoided if I was just thinking clearly. So yeah, that's what I mean by it, <laughs> it was my fault is I could have totally avoided the situation by thinking about, okay, kind of what his triggers are, um, in regards to, you know, like your domestic violence victim thinking it's, it's their fault. I think that's a little bit different. Um, obviously there are things we can do, like if we know our partner has anger issues there are things we can do to not trigger them, right? But that comes from having open conversations about it, having open conversations about, okay, I know I have this problem. These are things that trigger me into, you know, X, Y, and Z reaction. So if you could try to avoid doing X, Y, and Z, I'll work on my issue at hand. So it's a little bit different, you know, we're like, like kind of going back to anxiety too. Like I have anxiety. So there are things that I kind of talk with my boyfriend about anxiety. My anxiety is not his problem to handle. Right. But there are things that he can do to not trigger it. Right. So if I say, Hey, this makes my anxiety skyrocket. 
he can do me a favor by kind of avoiding those things and I can better help myself and kind of get through this anxiety if he's not constantly triggering me like crazy, you know, so it's a little different, but, you know, kind of, it relates a little bit. So I'm glad you made that distinction and you, you know, you talked about triggers and how you're, there are things that can make your anxiety skyrocket. Talk Mm -hmm. to us about one, where do you feel anxiety in your body? Like what, what are some Mm -hmm. of the warning signs? And then two, what are those things that, you know, environmentally cause your anxiety to skyrocket and then also behaviorally, whether it's from your boyfriend or maybe something that you do that can cause it to skyrocket? Yeah. So for me, my chest starts pounding. That's like the number one. If my anxiety is starting at all, my heartbeat just gets real thick. (laughs) Um, And I don't know, I have anxiety in a lot of different ways. I think that COVID, and I think that I can speak for a lot of people, but COVID has made it's so much worse with my social anxiety for sure, which is funny because I'm a dog trainer. I talk to like a bunch of different people every day. So uh, people always laugh when I say that I can get social anxiety sometimes, but it's more so like, okay, we're going out with my boyfriend and all of his friends are out and I've never really met a lot of them. And there's that expectation that you really want him to like you, things like that. Or, um, I have a lot of anxiety around like his family because I'm not super close to my family. So uh, the, the one time that we flew across the country to go visit them was super anxiety inducing because I don't really know how to behave around families. So that, you know, the chest pounding, things like that, that definitely kicked in there. So it's, it's teaching him that I have anxiety in these situations and then telling him how he can kind of help me. So, you know, we get into love languages. My number one love language is touch. So if I'm like, Hey, we're around your family. If you can just kind of keep your hand on me or something like that, that helps a bunch too. So just being vocal about what you need. I mean, it goes a long way. I love that. So touch in Mm -hmm. terms of now, is there a certain kind of touch that you prefer? Like, is it hand holding? Is it hugging? Is it rubbing your back? What's the kind of touch that's soothing for you? And then what's the kind of touch that actually maybe could trigger your anxiety? Yeah, I don't, honestly, all touch is good touch. Definitely like a hand on my back is the way to go. Um, But I wouldn't say that there's any kind that's going to make it worse, you know? So that's, that's a good thing, right? There's not a lot of, of complications to it. Just put a hand on me and I'm good. We got the physical touch. And then, you know, I want to go back a little bit. When we're talking about aggression, you mentioned the why, the when, and the patterns around it. And I want to highlight this because I think a lot of times, like, you know, with this being a suicide prevention podcast, Mm -hmm. a lot of times I don't, I believe that there are patterns and there's a when and a why of when, we have the suicidal ideations or the triggers that we have. How do you unpack the patterns? Like what, what's your, what's your um, approach to discovering the patterns that lead up to the aggressive behavior so that people who are, who maybe are having suicidal ideations or urges can kind of apply that to the patterns that lead up to that. Yeah. Do you mean more for myself or in terms of dog behavior? Dog behavior. Okay. For, for dogs, it's actually a lot simpler because the owners spend, I mean, the most amount of time with their dogs. So it's really just about asking questions. And I mean, I guess you can relate that to yourself too, but it's asking questions like when, when are we seeing these behaviors? Can you find patterns in what's going on in the environment? you know, when these behaviors are making themselves known. And usually with dogs, like I said, they're a lot simpler than people. So there's, there's a lot less emotion involved and it's more so a straightforward answer. So, uh, you know, like the example with strangers in the home, the people are usually like, oh, my dog's an angel. You'd have no idea there's any aggression until 
boom, someone wants to come into their household, you know, territorial aggression is a huge thing. Um, or there's, you know, resource guarding dogs like to resource guard their toys, their food, their shoes, things like that. So, you know, people will say, oh, my dog is totally fine unless someone or another dog approaches them while they have a toy or food or things like that. So it's really just about asking questions and finding patterns. How did you build a bond with your boyfriend? Because you talked about being bit by the dog and you thought the bond was strong enough. And mm -hmm. so how do we build a bond? Because there's so many people who want to build a bond with other people and just feel like they're unable to. And earlier you mentioned about, you know, don't stare at the dog or, um, you know, or bring it treats. Did you bring your boyfriend treats? Like, how did you build that bond with him. Yeah, that's funny. That's my, so I love love languages, but my second one is definitely uh, giving gifts, receiving gifts. So that's funny that you'd say if I brought him treats, cause I actually did a lot. <laughs> um, that's how I, I kind of show affection is like, Hey, I got you this, or, you know, I saw this and thought of you, so I got it for you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of just being vocal about what you need and what you want and seeing if your values and what you need kind of align with the other person. So I know that with, when dealing with mental health, it's, it, it's like sometimes see, seemingly impossible to talk about it, right? Because you don't feel like anyone's going to possibly understand. Uh, but I mean, if someone doesn't have a desire to understand you, then I don't think that they have a place in your life. You know, so a lot of it is just being open about what you need and finding someone who is willing to give you what you need and who importantly doesn't think it's too much to ask. Wow, that's such a key point. They have to have a desire to understand you. And and then we also have to have the vulnerability and courage to share what our needs are. are. Did you, has that always been easy for you to express what your needs are, to tap into your love languages? Or what was the process for you to understand what you needed, to know that you needed touch and that, you know, gift giving was your thing? No, actually, it, it it's something that's, I mean, relatively new within my current relationship. We've both done a lot of soul searching and growing together, for sure, just because we had all of these different things to deal with, like a pandemic and like, you know, trying to fight codependence and things like that, that we never had to deal with in any, any other relationship because, you know, we've never been through a pandemic before. So, yeah, it's... um. It's, a, it's just a lot of, you know, wanting, needing to be open in order to kind of help yourself, you know, because staying closed off and not talking about what you need is only going to keep you stuck where you are. Um, so it, we just, you kind of just have to throw yourself out there and be vulnerable. And, and if it doesn't work out, then at least you found out then and not, you know, five years down the road when you're finally learning to talk about these things. Um, so yeah, even though I know that mental health makes you feel alone, <laughs> um, it's important to kind of just talk about it and find someone who's willing to listen. Yeah. Did you involve a therapist at all? Or is this, or, or what about your parents or your brother? Did you feel like it was easy to talk to them and share with them growing no, up? Uh, no, I never was very close with, uh, my family growing up. So it really was this um current relationship that i'm in that we both just kind of catapulted into this like self-discovery route you know um and oh you asked me before if i involved a therapist and i i tried i did a couple therapy sessions um and i don't know it was hard for me i i totally support therapy i know it's a great thing for a lot of people um but it's hard for me to uh, talk to a stranger over, you know, sessions, hours of sessions and get them to try to understand you when there's someone who's kind of paid to do that. Um, and I know that works. It works for tons of people and it's a great thing, but I ultimately just kind of, I went more into like meditation um, and went into more so just kind of helping myself and talking with the people in my life 
that I know currently love me uh, to kind of get them involved in, in this, you know, journey of self-discovery and we're all just kind of helping each other out. So that has worked for me. Oh, tell me about your meditation practice. Are we sitting there for 10 minutes? Are we chanting? Is it guided meditations? Yeah, I like guided. Sometimes I I do it without, um, but it's just a lot of breath work mostly. And going back to anxiety, I mean, meditation is all about focusing on one thing, right? It's shifting your mind in order to get your mind off of all the 100 other things that you're trying to think of at the same time and just calming down and focusing on the now. Uh, A lot of anxiety is, you know, what if scenarios, it's worst case scenarios, it's thinking about the past and the future. And anxiety is thinking about everything except the now, right? So that's why I thought that meditation was better for me because anxiety is my biggest issue. Um, you know, therapy, it, it talks about therapy helps a little, helped me a little bit more in my depression, but my anxiety is so much worse that meditation was the way to go because it's teaching you focus on your breath. It's teaching you ways that when your heart starts pounding and you start feeling those emotions, how to actually calm yourself down. So kind of going back to self-soothing vices, things like that. Um, so yeah, that's just what I found that, that benefited me the best. Well, you brought up depression and said that, that, mm-hmm. that therapy was better for depression than for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about how two things. One, how do you experience depression different than how do you experience anxiety? And then two, what about therapy helped you through depression? Yeah. So with depression, it's more, I I call it my sad brain. Like I just get in moments where I just, it, it, I mean, it just feels like there's no serotonin running through my body. So What I kind of do with depression now is I, you know, get in bed and watch a movie until I feel better because I know that it's, it's kind of just that, you know, those brain chemicals. So with therapy and relating that to my depression, it was more about like what in my childhood and, and what kind of happened to me as a kid that, that made me feel certain ways that maybe while I was growing up, I, you know, wasn't getting that serotonin boost that I needed. So things that happened in my childhood, that's kind of affected, affected me in my adult life In therapy, it's like, okay, we can dive into all of that and we can figure all that out. And then once I understand it, that's that, you know, cool. I understand it, you know, thanked my therapist for helping me kind of work through that stuff. And then I was good with anxiety. It's like, it's almost like it's, it's new every time you feel it, you know, like people have anxiety about kind of the same situations over and over again. So you'd think, oh, I've, I've been through this before. It should be easier this time, but that's not really the case. Anxiety for me is more about, you know, even if I'm anxious about the same thing over and over, it's more about just pulling myself out of that panic and focusing on the moment. Whereas depression was more about understanding why I was feeling that way. And now that I understand it, I can just kind of help myself through it. Oh, I love that explanation. The depression is more about understanding what's contributing to it. Um, And then the anxiety is just more about calming these physiological responses to Mm -hmm. whatever may um, have been triggered from my childhood. Talk to me about that because, you know, before we got into the, the podcast, you said there was some type of traumatic event that happened to you in your childhood. What was that, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, I don't want to get into specifics too much, but just there was a lot of um, just things I went through as a kid that a kid shouldn't really have to go through. Um, and it made me feel just super alone in the world, you know, and you grow up and things that happen to you as a kid, if you feel alone as a kid, you kind of just self reclude yourself, you know, you, you don't, you push your friends away, you, you don't feel like you're enough, things like that. And it, if it continues into, you know, your teenage years, it's, in my opinion, it's, it can be detrimental. So, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> what was the question again? Sorry. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, 
experiencing anxiety, depression, feeling alone, and then recluding yourself, it would be challenging to trust people. How did you come to trust your boyfriend? Like what, what was the the thought process that I'm going to trust this guy, you know, enough to, to, to be vulnerable? Yeah. And it's really just diving into that vulnerability. And he had a lot of issues too, with, you know, trying to be open, you know, he's like your stereotypical dude who, you know, he, he didn't have an easy childhood either. He had to kind of, you know, help raise his siblings and that forces you to, to grow up a little bit faster than normal. And, and because of that, he kind of kept his emotions internalized. Um, so it's really been both of us together teaching each other that, you know, Hey, even if the world turns its back on you, I got you kind of a thing. And it's really just taking that leap of faith and continually taking that leap of faith and realizing that by taking that leap, nothing bad really happens, right? Like I, I can dive into this vulnerability with him and he, he understands it and he does things that, you know, make me feel heard, which is super important. Um, as a kid, you know, the traumatic things that we go through as kids, they, they do the opposite, right? They make us feel alone. They make us feel like we're not enough. So, so yeah, it's just about being open about what you need. How does he respond in a way that makes you feel hurt? Because I can see all my listeners leaning in right now, you know, just trying to feel heard by their significant other. Yeah. Change behavior is really what it is. It's, you know, cause not everyone, something that your partner might do that that hurts you. It doesn't necessarily mean that they did that intentionally or that they knew what they were going to do was going to hurt you. So it's about saying, Hey, I know you didn't mean to do X, Y, and Z, but you did. And it made me feel like this. So, you know, maybe offer different routes, you know, instead of doing this, could you maybe do this or this, you know, and just kind of talking about different options and, if your partner's willing to change their behavior for you, then I think that that, that shows love. That's such a powerful response, not only for talking to your significant other, but for talking to ourselves, right? Because there are times where we have these self-sabotaging behaviors or we, um, you know, self-wound ourselves. That's not, those aren't the words I'm looking for. But like, you know, yeah. where we cut ourselves or, you know, we binge drink or do these things that harm ourselves in our future. And instead of beating ourselves up, which is what we love to do, we go down a shame spiral or, or guilt spiral. We can say, hey, you know what? I understand that you were going through some things, which is why you did this. And uh, here are some options for next time. So, you know, because a lot of times we spend so much time beating ourselves up over what we did in the past that we don't take any time to explore options for the future. We, we kind of act like, oh, it'll never happen. That's what we tell ourselves. I'll never do it again. Right. But we never actually take the time to explore what the other options will be when those emotions resurface. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I love about your communication with your boyfriend is that you're like, here's what you did. Here's how it made me feel. And here are some options versus you could just be like trying to tell them what to do. Like, don't do that again. Oh, that's not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we do that with ourselves too, right? By saying, oh, I can't believe I did that. Or I hate myself for this when really it's, it's not, it's not like that. Right. We're just trying to, Everyone's just trying to do their best to get by. So what's the number one, what's the hardest thing in the, in the trainer, not the dog that Mm -hmm. is most difficult for you to address or correct? For myself, I, I mean, it's getting frustrated when a dog isn't performing the way that you'd like them to. You know, you could, you could train 10 dogs and nine of them will learn something incredibly easily. And then you have one dog who's 
you know, who can't be tamed kind of a thing, who's just not working with you. And it's it, the right thing to do is to, you know, put them up and try again when you've calmed down. But it's, it's hard definitely not to get frustrated sometimes. See, that's key there also when you said to put them up and then go back in once you have calmed down. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times we keep trying to force an issue when we are heightened or flooded or feel like our anxiety is catapulted and, and that doesn't serve you or the dog or or your your bigger purpose and so to step back calm down and then re-engage instead of trying right. to push ourselves through it do you do you find that diet nutrition food has an impact on your one, your anxiety, and then to the dog's behavior. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, you know, I don't, I'm not a nutritionist. So, and I mean, talking about dogs, not a dog nutritionist. So um, mostly what I've noticed is just based on observation, but I've learned that uh, dogs that eat raw diets tend to be a little crazy because they're getting, you know, the the livers and the tongues and the chicken feed and things like that, that, you know, wolves would eat in the wild. So it kind of brings out their animalistic instincts a little bit and dogs that eat raw tend to be kind of crazy. Um, and then on the flip side, there's the dogs that, you know, their owners cook for them every day, you know, they're cooking their rice and their potatoes and their chicken. And, and those dogs tend to be, and I don't know what it is, but they tend to be more on the softer side, you know, maybe have some anxiety issues, things like that. So I, I really don't know what the correlation is, but it is things that I've noticed. Um, and then in regards to myself, I mean, absolutely. You know, you eat like trash, you feel like trash. If, you know, you take care of yourself and you take care of your body, you, it affects your mind, it affects your spirit. There's, you know, serotonin is produced in the gut. So if you have a healthy gut, it's going to affect the way that your brain functions and things like that. So yeah, nutrition is, is huge for mental health. You know, that makes sense what you're saying in regard regards to raw diet versus the dogs who are receiving the cooked foods, uh, mm-hmm. where the ones who receive the cooked foods show higher signs of anxiety. And this applies for humans. Okay. Because I truly believe that the softer the foods we're eating, especially now with all the smoothies, everybody's on a juice fast, drinking a smoothie, like we're mm-hmm. it, chewing food gives us an opportunity to alleviate anxiety because yeah. it takes effort to chew food. It's a workout, like your, your jaw's in there and there's research showing that chewing stimulates the prefrontal cortex now of course if the food you're chewing is too tough like you know like if a bone like you think about a dog when he's like trying to uh, like you know chew through a really tough bone that he actually can't chew through it makes them more aggressive because they're trying to like bite through a thing that really can't be bitten through and that's going to drive you crazy right and so like the tougher the food the more I have to work, the more aggressive I have to be. And, but the softer the food, the less you have to work. And so you just kind of, you know, you're not burning off any energy really. So you need that sweet spot of, uh, I don't know if raw and cooked, but there's gotta be, you know, like beef jerky. (laughs) Right. Right. Yep. Do you, so are there, are you, do you put yourself on, is there a certain way that you prefer to eat or a way that you, that you eat where you're like, oh, if I have this, I feel like it can trigger my anxiety a bit. Not really. No, there, I have a funny relationship with food because I love food. And when I, uh, when I was a teenager, um, you know, going through all of this childhood trauma, feeling alone, things like that. Food was my vice. Um, so I, I mean, I used to, I used to eat like crazy because it was the only thing that made me feel, you know, some kind of temporary happiness. Um, and I ended up, I mean, I was like 70 pounds overweight. So when, by the time I, 
you know, kind of came around to noticing that I needed help and that this was incredibly unhealthy and that, you know, by thinking I was, you know, making myself happy by eating, it was actually hurting myself more in the long run. Once I kind of understood that and made the switch to, you know, become healthier and then started dropping the weight off, it's, it's crazy how much your uh, mental health kind of shifts, you know, when you start taking care of your body. So I, I try not to think of it, you know, I'm thinking of people who might be listening, who are, are dealing with that, you know, eating to make themselves feel better. I don't regret that part of my life. You know, I, I, part of me believes that that food helped save my life, you know, because without it, I'm not sure what would have happened. You know, all of that temporary happiness definitely did something and that's what I needed in that moment. Um, but it's important to recognize, you know, when it's time to move on and it's kind of time to make yourself healthier in other ways, for sure. You know, you were 70 pounds. You put on 70 pounds, you said? Yeah, I weighed like 215 pounds. Yeah. And wh where are you now? About. 150. Wow. And yeah. I mean, did you... Do you feel like it was just about changing? Like what else? What were the other changes? What was the mindset change? What was the environmental change? What were the pattern changes? Yeah. I mean, it was, I was me leaving home. It, uh, I, right when I went to school in Oregon, it was 2018. Uh, that was the first year that I was like, damn, there is more to life <laughs> than all this nonsense. So yeah, it, I mean, it's literally about removing yourself from toxic environments. Powerful, a powerful share. And I think because I think so many people underestimate how much the environment uh, plays on their mental health, right? Because I think we're so fixated on mindset. Oh, it's, you know, it's how you think about life and what's going on between your ears. But the environment definitely pulls a trigger on our behaviors, whether it's too noisy or polluted mm -hmm. or just unstable for whatever reason um the environment pulls the trigger is there anything else from your journey are there any books that you've read that uh uh one on dog training and then two just that you enjoyed yourself you're like wow i really enjoyed that book i really love that book yeah there's one but i haven't really read much on dog training just because the one thing with dog training is that every dog trainer thinks that they do things the absolute best, most accurate way. And I've worked for a couple different, um, you know, leading dog trainers who have obedience titles and definitely know what they're doing. And all of them, you know, train differently. You know, it's all similar in the fact that, you know, the dog's going to sit, lay down and come, but the approaches to getting there are all different. So, and it's just kind of about what find, finding what works for you the best, because what works for you might not be what works for somebody else. So it's just kind of funny. And then there was one book that I read um, when I first started this journey. It's called Unfuck Yourself. I don't know if I can say that, but uh, that book was kind of what sparked my, you know, re self discovery journey and helped me. And I, I read it when I was in school, kind of realizing that I needed to help myself. And that was, that was the book that I chose. And it, it definitely, it had skyrocketed this journey for sure. I, I truly believe that every book that I read, there's one line or thought or idea from it that always sticks. What was that for you from this book? Um, honest, it's just the title, honestly. It, it's about it's about doing what's uncomfortable, but things that you know that you need, you know, and that's different for everybody. But it's people get addicted to comfortability. And that's one of the biggest messages of this book was to jump into the realm of the unknown, you know, and that's how you grow. You're not going to grow by staying exactly where you are and staying in the places that are making you, you know, depressed and anxious and things like that. It's about, even if you don't know what's on the other side to just kind of jump into that unknown and, and see what happens. And if, you know, if it wasn't the right choice, then jump a different direction and try that way, you know, but you, you got to get out of what's comfortable if you're not happy there 
I love it. I, it makes me think of a, a frog going from lily pad to lily pad, right? It, it hangs out and it's cool until it's not cool. Then it just jumps to another one. No big deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I want to point out and uh, that I love your use of words. I love words. I'm a big word person. And so the two words that you use, I was like, oh, my God, I got to I got to use those. You said <laughs> you said catapulted and skyrocketed. Uh-huh. Talked about skyrocketed, you know, my anxiety. And I was like, wow, I've never heard anybody describe their anxiety. You know, like when I talk about I go like zero to 60 or, uh, you know, I get to mm-hmm. 100 real quick. But you were like skyrockets. my, And I was like, what? Yeah. Catapults. I was like, whoa, those are such powerful words. Um, are, are, is that, are, are you aware of those words and like where they may have come from? Not really. I do. I also love words. I almost, uh, I almost majored in, um, like English creative writing in college, but I chose not to, but I, I like words too. So I don't know. They just come to me. Oh, uh, okay. Well, uh, we're gonna skyrocket out of here, but I have <laughs> one last question that I ask of all my okay. guests because I always imagine that there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them, Megan? Oh, I'm sure everyone says this, but I, it's not always as bad as it seems, right? Feel emotions are temporary and they feel like they're going to last forever and they feel, you feel them so intensely and so strongly, right. And they're so overpowering, but even the most intense, overpowering, debilitating emotion in the world is only temporary. If you just, you know, willpower and get through it. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you so much listeners for tuning in. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help calling the nine, eight, eight, number or if you are in budapest ukraine china switzerland wherever you are in the world malaysia canada wherever you are there are international phone numbers for you and all the show notes you can go to betterhelp.com forward slash leo get your 10 percent off your first month of therapy it's they'll they'll link you up in 48 hours 48 hours people get your own get i call them pocket professionals get your pocket get you a pocket professional in the next 48 hours, betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you, Megan. Of course. Thank you.